we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Well, if you are new with us, uh, either in the room or continue worshiping with us online, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I'm Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church, have the privilege, privilege of preaching in this space um, to you. But if you are new, let us know uh, that you're with us today. You can go to fbcsa.org slash connect. Just a simple way to drop us a line to say, hey, I am here with you today, and we, glad, we are so glad that you are. So we have been in a little bit of 1 Chronicles, and now we're in 2 Chronicles. We're about halfway through um, our series of talking about Solomon and his building of the temple, a place of worship. And there's a few things that we've really talked about so far. I just want to remind you of a few of them. The first thing that we kind of talked about is that God has made a way for us uh, to move towards him into his presence so that we can have fellowship with God. He has made a way. We looked at the tabernacle, and the temple is kind of a glorified tabernacle. God made a way through atonement and sanctification so that we can come into the very presence of God, and he can be our God, and we can be his people. So God has made a way. Um, we looked at how God was worthy. Remember when David was contributing so much of his own personal wealth and treasure to God uh, to honor him, and it was a reminder for us that God is absolutely worthy of all of who we are and all of who we have, whether that's finances or time or energy or the giftedness, it is all his to begin with, and that we should honor him with giving of ourselves to him because he is absolutely worthy of that. We looked um, about how God is merciful and how sometimes we take God's mercy for granted. Sometimes we can think, yeah, I'm kind of deserving of God's forgiveness. The reality is that when we see the glory and beauty and majesty of God in all of its fullness, we'll never have a thought like that. We will be convinced of God's incredible mercy towards us, that we were not deserving, but God is a merciful, merciful God. Last week, we looked at the presence of God as uh, he descended into and overwhelming the temple so much so that it pushed out the priests who were performing uh, their rituals uh, in honor of God. It, it, they had to stop what they're doing. Um, but it reminded us uh, that God made his presence known among his people and that through Christ and the power of the Spirit of God, we too can practice the presence of of God in part on this side of eternity in fullness when Jesus returns in the future. So we've been reminded of some beautiful truths and perhaps most importantly we've been reminded throughout these weeks is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that we've been talking about in First and Second Chronicles. Everything that has been happening and even things that we've heard over and over and over again points to the promise that we have in Christ and the fulfillment of God's demands for his people are fulfilled through Jesus. And so today we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, um, and we're going to be talking about God's faithfulness. Um, I'm going to invite you to stand and read, and we're going to read all 11 verses together. Can y'all do that? Are y'all able to do that? It's 11 verses. We've got this. 
Let's read this with one another. Then Solomon prayed, O Lord, you have said that you would live in a thick cloud of darkness. Now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. Then the king turned around to the entire community of Israel standing before him and gave this blessing. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promise he made to my father David. For he told my father, from the day I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have never chosen a city among any of the tribes of Israel as a place where a temple should be built to honor my name. Nor have I chosen a king to lead my people Israel. But now I have chosen Jerusalem as the place for my name to be honored, and I have chosen David to be king over my people Israel. Then Solomon said, My father David wanted to build this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord told him, You want to build the temple to honor my name? Your intention is good, but you are not the one to do it. One of your own sons will build the temple to honor me. And now the Lord has fulfilled the promise he made, for I have become king in my father's place, and now I sit on the throne of Israel just as the Lord promised. I have built this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have placed the ark, which contains the covenant that the Lord made with the people of Israel. You may be seated. Father, Lord, we pray that you, you bless the reading of your word, the receiving of your word, and the, and the obedience to your word. Lord, shape our heart in that way that we would not just be hearers only, but also doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. And so um, we find Solomon here standing on some very core promises that God has given the people of Israel, particular to his dad, um, and we see kind of four promises shaped here. And so I just want to briefly walk through these four promises um, that we see in this passage. Right from the beginning in Second Chronicles 6, 1, um, we have Solomon recalling a promise that was originally made uh, to Moses, to the people, when that original covenant was given uh, to the people of Israel at that mountain. Right, And he said this in Exodus 19.9, Behold, I will meet you in a thick cloud. And so Solomon is referencing back to that old promise of God. And even way back then, they experienced that cloud that would descend and all the fire and smoke. They, the people of Israel, almost 500 years ago, experienced the reality and fulfillment of that promise. And so Solomon after the dedication of the temple, or in the midst of the dedication of the temple, when the cloud descended, he's proclaiming and declaring, God is making good on his promise that he will meet with us and speak to us in a thick cloud. He's pointing us back. And then we see in verses 3 through 6, let me just read these again. Again, some of the words that I'm reading that you just read, we've already heard three or four times. He's recalling for us once again the promises that God made to David. But verses 3 through 6, Then the king turned around to the entire community of Israel standing before him and gave this 
blessing. By the way, this is a pretty incredible scene. You have hundreds and thousands of people assembling before this incredible glorified tabernacle that, we, that is called the temple. Uh, they have moved the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the very presence and throne room of God, the very word of God, the promise of God, enters into the most holy place, and God descends like a cloud, a thick cloud, and pushes the priests out. It's an incredible scene. They had to be pretty scared about what's happening at this moment. These, these people had never seen anything like this. They had never encountered the dissension of God or the condescension of God in a thick cloud. They had heard stories about it, but they'd never experienced it. So this is an incredible scene. And so we can, it makes sense that Solomon would look at the assembly and before the Lord in his presence say, God is making good on his promise. He told Moses that he would speak to us in a thick cloud, and here he is in his temple. But he goes on in this incredible scene. Then the king turned around to the entire community of Israel standing before him and gave this blessing. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promise he made to my father David. For he told my father, from the day I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have never chosen a city among the tribes of Israel as the place where a temple should be built to honor my name. Nor have I chosen a king to lead my people Israel. Now I have chosen Jerusalem as a place for my name to be honored, and I have chosen David to be king over my people Israel. The second promise that Solomon's referring to is the promise that God made that I will choose Jerusalem to be my place to honor my name, and I have chosen your father David as king. And Solomon is saying God made good on that promise. Today is the fulfillment of God making good on that promise. He made my father king, and he made Jerusalem the place to honor his name forever. And then verses 7 through 10, again, we've heard this before. Then Solomon said, my father David wanted to build this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. We know this promise. God said, no, I don't have a need for a temple, and you're certainly not going to build the temple. Um, But One of your sons, a son from your line, will build the temple. And Solomon is saying, listen, I have built the temple. God has made good on his promise. God spoke it and made good on his promise. And the last and perhaps most profound promise that we have Solomon referring to is that covenant promise that he made with his people hundreds of years ago. This is, this is Solomon once again linking that covenant promise that God made with his people to the promises that he made to his father David. It's a reaffirmation of God's word and promise to his people. That in the same way that he has been faithful back then, that he is also faithful today. And what is that covenant promise in verse 11 of chapter 6? It says, There I have placed the ark which contains the covenant that the Lord made with the people of Israel. And Solomon is saying, man, God is making good on that promise. God is making good on that promise. This is Solomon declaring before the people and saying, look, when God speaks, he fulfills his word. God is a covenant keeper. Look at the promises that God has kept to us. Even now as we have finished this temple, 
look what God has done in keeping his promise to us. We can trust the God who speaks because he will fulfill his word. The truth is we know that Solomon wouldn't stand long on God's promises, would he? We know that Solomon would go his own way. God, uh, Solomon would become unfaithful to a very faithful God. He would worship many other, other gods. Uh, he would turn his heart and his eyes away from the Lord. He would become unfaithful. And furthermore, God would hand over the entire people because of their waywardness to judgment. The temple would become destroyed. And the people would be put into exile, right? Remember, this was written by a man who was writing to a people who had just come out of that exile period, 70 years out of Jerusalem, have just recently returned to Jerusalem, which is a decrepit, uh, falling down kind of city, no temple And so the chronicler is trying to use words and remind them of the promises of God. I mean, the chronicler is trying to encourage these people who feel like God has left them, possibly. He wants to give them hope. And so he's saying to them, listen, can I remind you that our God is a promise keeper? The very fact that we have been released out of exile, the very fact that we're in Jerusalem again is is speaking to the reality that God is a promise keeper, that he is faithful to keep the words that he has spoken. Can you imagine how desperate these people are to hear those kind of encouraging words in that point in their history? God is faithful. He was faithful then. He was faithful then. Even though Solomon got it all wrong and he went his own way, can, you, can I remind you that even though Solomon was unfaithful, our God is always faithful and makes good on his promises. They needed to hear that. And I imagine that we need to hear that too. We need to hear that too. We need to be reminded that even today, in all the brokenness that our world represents, in this particular time in history, we as his church need to be reminded that God is faithful and he calls us to be faithful to him. And so what I want to do over the next few moments is I want to list for us as followers of Jesus on the way on, way on the other side of the temple, Right, Jesus has come, he has died on the cross, rosen from the grave, and we can taste forgiveness, and we can taste restoration. What kind of promises do we have that we can hold on to because we can bank on God's faithfulness? So I just want to list a few for you uh, this morning. We'll do this kind of quickly, so hold on. The first promise that I want to mention is this, that we are forgiven. Uh, that's a promise you can hold on to. Uh, in Luke uh, twenty-two twenty, Jesus says, 
listen, I am making a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Through Christ, we have this brand new covenant, a brand new set of promises, first of which is that we are forgiven if we come to faith and belief through repentance in Christ, that we don't have to hold on to the baggage and shame and guilt that our sin has brought any longer. A few years ago, um, we had traveled from uh, Kenya back to the States, landing in DFW. We get on the road, get our luggage and get on the road, and I get a call from DFW Airport, and they say, um, is this Mr. Panter? I said, yes. Um, Sir, you might have a piece of luggage that is not yours. By the way, you never want to hear that when you're like 45 minutes already out of DFW. And so we stop. And we pull it out, and lo and behold, a baggage that looks just like ours, but wasn't ours. We had to go all the, back, all the way back to DFW, obviously, to exchange baggage. But here's the thing. We can trust and hold on to the promise of God through Jesus that we are forgiven. But how many times do we keep on holding on to baggage that's no longer ours to hold on to? How many times do we hold on to that, that sin, that shame, that guilt, when Jesus says, listen, can I remind you, I've taken that on for you. I've taken that on for you. You can live with boldness. Yes, and I understand that sin still has its consequences in the, in the real world, and that plays out in a lot of different ways. But brothers and sisters, we can hold on to the promise of God that every sin that you commit and have committed is forgiven in Christ. We don't have to hold on to that any longer. It's his load to carry, and he carried it on the cross and was victorious over it in the resurrection. We are forgiven. The second promise I want to remind you of is that we are being remade. We are being remade Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. And that is a reality for us in Jesus. That's a, a promise that we can hold on to. Uh, that God is reshaping us into the very image of His Son. That's what Paul declares in Romans chapter 8, that, that we are being made into the very image of the Son. And so you can bank on the promise that you are being remade in His image, that you are being made new. And that means as we're walking in faith in Jesus and we're being filled with the Spirit of God and that we're looking to follow Him and obey Him, that the Spirit of God bears new fruit in our life that looks a whole lot like Jesus and how He loved people and treated others and listened to His Father and followed His Father. That kind of fruit, that kind of being remade happens in us. That's a promise that Jesus is making good on in your life. You are being remade. And I know while we all begin on this faith journey in different places, listen, some of us begin in different places in this faith journey. Some of us began with so much baggage. And not only different places, but we're all going at our own paces, right? That's why we should keep our eyes on Jesus and not, not one another, by the way. 
right? That's why the author of Hebrews says, set your gaze on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. We've got to stop measuring each other's faith by one another. Gosh, I wish I was just like her or him. If only I could do this or judging our neighbor. Gosh, man, they're really, they don't have it all together. Listen, we, we all start at different places. We, we began with our own sets of sin baggage and brokenness, and we're all at different paces by the power of the Spirit of God in our life. But, but the promise is, is that, listen, in Jesus, you are being remade regardless of where you started from and regardless of the kind of brokenness that you experienced and regardless of the pace at which it takes place, you are being remade. Your God-like image is being restored. That's the promise of Jesus. He is making you brand new. Thirdly, the third promise that we can bank on is that he hears us and answers us. God hears us. Several times as Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, death, resurrection, and then ascension, several times he told them over and over again, if you ask anything in my name, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. If you ask anything in my name, he says it multiple times to them. Listen, we have a God who hears us. We have a God who hears us, and some of us really are desperate to hear that. There's a lot of tabernacle language here when we go to Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I'm just going to paraphrase it here, um, but that because of our confession in Jesus, we now can boldly approach the throne of God's grace. We can come straight into the most holy place because of Christ. Christ has made provision for us so that God will hear us. We can speak to God with, with boldness, not cavalierly, but with boldness, knowing that we are no longer under judgment. Listen, God hears us. There is a caveat here. The brother of Jesus would say, um, listen, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask with all the wrong motives because you just want to know pleasure. You're looking out for your own needs. And so we have this, this promise of God that Jesus has given us, that God has given us, even before, the Father has given us even before Christ, is that I am a God who hears. I hear your cries. I know where you are. I'm ready to listen to you. I'm ready to intervene. Jesus said, listen, anything you ask in my name, I will, I will give it because I want to, the Son must be glorified um, through your asking. But again, the warning is, listen, when we come before the Lord and we're asking of God, let's ask in accordance to the will of God. The reason you don't have is because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask with all the wrong reasons, all the wrong motives. May we ask with the right motives. Ask with the right motives. So we can trust that God answers his promises, good on his promise that we can and will be heard. The fourth one is this. The fourth promise is that we will never be alone. 
In John chapter 14, he tells his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. You will not be alone. Matthew 28, 20, he says this, I will be with you to the very end of the age. You will not be alone. You will not be alone. Mind you, this is right after the Great Commission where he is given this Herculean task, which will be fulfilled by the Spirit of God. Go and make disciples of all peoples and all nations. And I will not leave you alone. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Luke 12, 12. Interesting little, little teaching of Jesus. He says, listen, when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and you're before authorities because of my name, because of persecution, he says, listen, don't even worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to defend yourself. You're not going to be alone. Because in the day that that comes, my spirit, my spirit will teach you what to say. Jesus has told us over and over again, my promise to you is that you will not be alone. When you set your heart and feet to be a part of what I'm doing in the world, when you align yourself with my kingdom, my commitment to you is that you will not be doing it alone. We certainly experience that in the church, that we are with one another and help us uh, help one another, but we also have the deposit of the Spirit of God that says, you are not orphans, you are not alone. Isn't it amazing some of the crazy things that we'll do when we're not alone, that if we have a partner with us that will encourage us? Sometimes that goes both ways, right? That's not great. There's a reason why Paul said, listen, don't be mistaken, bad company corrupts good character. But the reality is, how many crazy things have you done because you weren't alone? Listen, I went into a fast food restaurant's bathroom and dyed my hair because I was with a buddy. I would never in a million years done that on my own. Are you kidding me? But I was with Shane. Listen, uh, that same trip, we were in Italy and listen, don't do these kind of things. But on the beach outside of Rome, a group of us, on the cover of night, scale an ancient, oh, I don't know how old it was, but it had to be a few hundred years, mansion that was on the shore, had scaffolding all along the side. I would never have done that on my own. But I was with people. And it might not have been the right thing to do, but here's, here's the truth of this is that when we know we're not alone, we're inclined to do the things that are in front of us. And this is the promise of God. Listen, I've given you work to do. I have set your feet on a particular task. I've called you to be a part of my kingdom work. I've called you to love your neighbor as yourself. I've called you to love me with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And you know I'm gonna help you get it done. You're not gonna be alone. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be with you. Listen, folks, that's a promise we can hold on to, that we are not alone, and, and we have each other, uh, gosh, I almost said a Bon Jovi line. Y'all could, y'all already finished it in your heads, didn't you? And that's a lot of, no, y'all not, never mind. All right, uh, but we are not alone, and that is a promise we can hold on to, and those promises are linked to God's kingdom work. Um, the last one I want to mention is the promise is that he will return to finish what he has started. 
That's a promise to stand on. Um, he, he will return to finish what he has started. In Matthew chapter 25, just verse 31. Let me read that. Twenty-five, verse thirty-one. Just that one verse. There's a whole lot there. That's an incredible passage of scripture. But he says this: "But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne." That's a promise. That Jesus will return. That He will finish what He has started in His church, in us. In Philippians chapter 6, what does Paul say to that small church in Philippi? Listen, I'm convinced of this. That what, what God has started in you will finish and complete it on the day of Jesus Christ when Christ returns. When Christ returns, He is going to set all things right once and for all. God is making good and will make good on that promise. Gosh, some of you really need to hear that. Some of you really need to hear that. You, you wrestle with the same sin and temptation over and over again. You feel like, gosh, I, I make steps forward and I feel like I fall right back on my face again. Or maybe it's just physical brokenness, an ailment or disease that you just can't shake that may be with you for the rest of your life. Or maybe you're just looking out in the world that we live in. You're like, goodness gracious, Lord, nothing's ever going to get better. And you're absolutely right, by the way. Our hope is not in earthly kingdoms. Things aren't going to happen if we get the right person in whatever office we think they need to be in. That's not where hope lives. Listen, but we can trust in the promise of God that he will set all things right. He will, he will make us whole and make us in the very image of himself, that he will heal all of our physical brokenness. He will restore the heavens and the earth and make all things new when he returns once and for all. That's a promise we can bank on. What promise did you need to hear this morning? What promise did you need to be reminded of this morning? Can I just tell you, brother and sister, can I tell you, church, that God is faithful? We need the same encouraging words that the chronicler gave to his people so many years ago. Listen, I know things look crazy, and I, it looks like they're not headed in the right direction, but let me tell you, God is faithful. He will restore. He will make all things new. Will you live by those promises today? Will you live by those promises today? I pray that we will. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we can bank on this truth. At any time you say, thus saith the Lord, we can be confident that you will fulfill that promise. You are always good on your word, Lord. Remind us of that. Help us hold on to that. Lord, help us to hold on to your promises in this harrowing world that we live in. May we hold on to your promises as your church, as sons and daughters of God. May we live by those rather than any creed of the world and even promise of the world. May we live by your word. Find us faithful. 
Find us faithful to trust in your promises. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.